the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, where we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. We've got a wonderful guest on today. We've got Daryl Roy from 3D Media, the actual founder of 3D Media. We're going to talk about virtual reality, augmented reality, and all kinds of cool stuff to help out with training and performance enhancements and just a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool stuff to get through. Before we get into that, I wanted to, of course, give a shout out and an announcement to our sponsor. Our sponsor is Tidewater Marine. Tidewater owns and operates the largest fleet of offshore support vessels in the industry with over 60 years of experience supporting offshore energy exploration and production activities worldwide. If you're interested in support for your maritime operations, you can learn more about Tidewater through their website at www.tdw.com. I've said it for a very long time. I've put it out to everybody that does listen to the show that I would greatly appreciate reviews and feedback and everything that you think about the show, good, bad, or indifferent, just so we can help make the show better. Every comment and every you know review helps get us out to another audience. And today... I have a wonderful review that I wanted to share with you. So we've got one. It looks like I think it came through iTunes. It is by Lizzie63777. It says it's titled A Show for U.S. Mariners. One of my peers just introduced me to the show. And oh my gosh, it's so great that I am binge listening. I'm becoming obsessed with these podcasts. After 11 years in the industry, I thought I knew who Tidewater was. I didn't realize the engineering and environmental care that goes into running their fleet. The episode with Kevin taught me something new. Looking forward to following their progress with batteries. Keep up the great work, Andy. Well, awesome. Thank you very much, Lizzie. I greatly appreciate the review and the feedback, and we will do our best to keep it going. Again, anybody that is out there, if you'd like to hear one of your reviews read on the air, I'll read the bad ones too, if you'll leave them. But wherever you receive this content, just go on there, leave us a review, leave us a comment, and we will go from there. So. Now, let's get into the fun stuff. Daryl, how are you doing today? I'm outstanding. Where are you today when we're talking? We are in Thibodeau, Louisiana, south of New Orleans, about 25, 30 miles. I didn't know you can get south of New Orleans. <laughs> it's pretty much the ocean, right? <laughs> pretty much the Gulf of Mexico, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. How's things going for you? How are you doing with everything going on in the world? They're going well. You know, obviously... This pandemic and all the things happening in the world to turn down in the oil and gas industry, they have effects, especially in our area, in the Thibodeau area, because we're close to Port Fouchon, we're close to Homa. A large portion of our economy is oil and gas based. And so, you know, the area has been hit kind of hard. But look, in this part of the country, we're, we're resilient. We've been through Hurricane Katrina. We've been through a number of downturns. We'll we bounce back from them and we'll we'll bounce back from this. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no doubt. We'll come back. We'll keep going. Are you down there by that? What's it called? I think it's called Loop. Yeah, yeah, we are. Loop is, it's down the bayou. That's how we say that. <laughs> it's down by, by Fouchon and, and Grand Isle down LA1. 
for months. I went to a seminar in New Orleans years ago, and we got like a virtual tour and a presentation by the guys out there at Loop. I'm trying to stall to figure out what the name of it was, but it was it's the offshore port. It's the deep water offshore port for all the tankers and everything. That you know, a lot of port Is that what you're talking about? A uh, loop, the facility. Yeah, yeah. Loop well, was the okay. acronym for Louisiana Offshore Oil Port. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yep. Yeah. Louisiana Teamwork makes the dream work, man. We'll figure it out. Together. <laughs> yeah. No, perfect. That's an amazing place. I mean, there's tons of product going through there from all over the world, and it's just absolutely going in and out, and really cool. Absolutely. Well, awesome, Daryl. How about we start as I usually do, and we just learn a little bit about you, your background, and kind of how you got to where you are with 3D media. Absolutely. So, yeah, as you mentioned, I am the uh, founder and CEO of 3D Media. We are a virtual and augmented reality uh, firm. We're a technology firm that focuses on virtual and augmented reality. We are located in Thibodeau, Louisiana. My background is I'm actually a U.S. Army vet, and I spent a number of years in operations, both in petrochemical industry and most of it actually in nuclear power, just under or just right at a decade in nuclear power operations. The company actually started kind of out of that. The idea came from an event that that happened while I was an operator in the petrochemical industry, and it just gestated and, and grew from there until until its birth. Yeah. Now, so that you know, kind of tragic event, obviously motivated to to get you started on this path. I mean, but this is quite a turn from your from the work you were doing. I mean, you're getting into virtual reality and software coding, and and probably some forward, progressive technology. Do you have a background in that world at all? No, no, I didn't. Like I said, in the army, I was just, you know, motor transport operator. In nuclear power and in the petrochemical industry, it was operations. You know, I just turned valves, hung lockouts, tagouts, followed procedures and did my job. And uh, the tragic event you were talking about, I can kind of expand on that a little bit to give you a little bit more insight on, on what it's kind of the genesis of the company. So while I was working in the petrochemical industry, I worked with a guy named Zach. We worked together for a couple of years. Zach went and started working at another chemical plant on the Mississippi River, and I left to go work in nuclear power. In 2013, Zach went out with his supervisor to bring a reboiler back to service. Three minutes after opening the first valve in his lineup, there was a catastrophic failure. There was a fire, an explosion. Zach and his supervisor were killed and 165 other people were injured. And Zach had a daughter and he had a wife and he didn't get to go home because of that. And like I was saying, from that point in 2013, all the way until we launched our first project, that entire time was spent figuring out how do we train better? Because after investigation, it was found that Zach's accident was due to a lack of training and insufficient information to Zach and his supervisor when they were when they were outperforming their task. And so we, you know, from that point, I made it a personal mission to figure out a better way to do things so that what happened to Zach and his family, the, the pain that his family had to go through, that it would never have to happen to another family again. Now granted, you know, it's 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 a work in progress, but we're we're continuing to fight towards that. And just like everyone out there says, right, goal zero. It's just, it's our goal as well. Our goal is to use technology to make sure that people go home to their families every single night. And that's what we feel like we do on a daily basis. Oh, absolutely. It's horrible when it takes tragedy like that to create motivation towards change. And 
I know the super major that you're referencing Goal Zero from. <laughs> I've, I've worked for them too for many years, and it's Shell. That's so I know that's when I worked for them. That was Goal Zero. That was their thing, and it's it rings home. You know, I mean, they've got a video of I think it's a guy. They they played it all the training videos that we watched, and it was you know it's a guy, and and they something like a hundred thousand people in Great Britain die every year, and they say what's an acceptable number, and he's like. Like a hundred, and they're like, "Oh, okay, so a hundred's acceptable." He's, "Yeah, that's that's way less than a hundred thousand." <laughs> and then they, they call on a radio, and around the corner comes a hundred people, and they're all his family. So then they go, "How many now?" And he's, you know, he's crying, and he's like, zero, right? Like zero. Nobody's okay. That message has just always stood out so so clear to me. Just. Like I'm sure the story that that you had and the events that the tragic events that you went to have motivated such change in your life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. We feel like technologies like virtual and augmented reality, even moving into artificial intelligence, machine learning, and applying them in a way that really add value to these different processes, those are the things that are gonna affect change to a large degree. And one of the key things is that all these technologies, we need to make sure that we're looking at them from a holistic approach. We need to look at them, make sure that we're looking at them from a high level view. We've got to make sure that these technologies, this is one of the biggest dangers, is that all of these new technologies become siloed and they're adopted by the groups that see the immediate benefit of them and the rest of groups, you know, they'll just leave them alone until later. But the fact is that for these technologies to work, they need to converge. They need to meet somewhere. There needs to be kind of a middle ground where they all come together for them to be the most effective. One of the things that I believed and will forever is that technology is not the final answer. Technology is a tool. Technology is just like a wrench. Technology should never make decisions for us. It can help us to make better decisions. It can help us to make decisions faster. It can help us to retain information and to do things properly, but it should never be expected to make the decisions for us. And that's where people come in, right? But the only way to effectively use these technologies is to make sure that they converge and that they meet and that they do it in an effective and responsible way. I agree completely. I've had a very similar discussion and just kind of a point on, you know, you know, there's all these, everybody talking about self-driving cars, right? Self-driving cars are going to eventually take over and we won't have to drive anymore. And they're coming, right? They are coming. There's some formats that are already out there. But this one point that that's that kind of, I think it rings directly to the point, like you just said, which is at some point, that car, that self-driving car is going to become a choice, a moral choice of, okay, I have a sidewalk full of people. Mm-hmm. Or I have a car in front of me that I'm going to collide with that they just hit me. And I have a brick wall on my left or whatever. I have a barrier of some sort. And that computer is going to have to make a moral choice of the sidewalk of people, the car with the baby in front, you know, and whatever. And then that all comes back to somebody coding that moral decision into the software, which until that happens, that's. I don't know anybody wants to take that liability on, you know, like, and, and to make it to that point. And I think that's going to be a sticking point for quite a long time, much like you said. Absolutely. And with any AI or machine learning model, you know, if you're going to apply it to a critical process or high risk scenario, you need to be able to validate and justify every action that comes out of that. As a decision maker in the field, you're presented with all this information that's been whittled down, that's been optimized and compiled, cleaned up, and then presented to you. 
in a specific way, you need to trust that that AI is going to be, you're going to be able to justify your decision with the data that those models used as inputs, you know, and, and that self-driving car example is, is the perfect, perfect example that people can relate to on a daily basis. But it goes even further than that in, in defense and in, in industry and with a lot of your listeners in the oil and gas industry, you know, those decisions that you make today don't just affect people right now in this moment. Those decisions that you make based on this technology's recommendations are going to affect people potentially for generations. You know, I remember being in nuclear power where they would say that a single wrong valve can end the industry, you know, where, where one mistake can cause the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to pull every license of every nuclear power plant. You just ended it because you made the wrong decision. And it's the same thing in oil and gas. You have a, another significant oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. How friendly do you think the public is going to be towards that? And that's why accuracy and action is so critical. And tools like virtual reality to train per- people to do their jobs more effectively to, so they can retain information and recognize situations. Augmented reality to help people with step-by-step procedures to, to visualize IoT sensor data to get the most information the quickest while they're in the field. Those are the things that can have a huge effect on people's ability to do their jobs properly, effectively, efficiently, and to help the industry to not just survive difficult times, but to thrive within those difficult times. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree completely, agree completely. Let's go to some of like the legacy training methods that, you know, everybody knows them. I mean, you're not going to bring up anything we have, nobody's heard if they've been in the industry a little bit, but but let's talk about kind of the things that we've used historically and maybe some of the gaps that we're really trying to solve with the application of, you know, AI and, and you know, VR and AR and all these technologies that we've kind of already been touching on. Absolutely. So, you know, generally when people are going through training, they're going to do their initial training courses. Things are done mostly to a large degree in PowerPoint or in on-the-job training. But the problem is that with PowerPoint, studies have shown that people who go through PowerPoint training get roughly 20% retention rates, which is not very much information. And then on-the-job training in itself is rife with its own inherent risk to the health and safety of the public, to personnel, and to the individuals going through that training, not to mention the assets of the organization. Virtual reality allows you to perform training in environments that you will be working in, allows you to do to perform tasks, to turn valves that you that in the real world may have been a high-risk evolution. You, you would only be able to describe what would happen. Well, in, in VR, we can, we can build in the simulations that, that show you so you get that emotional connection when a mistake is made and you accidentally start a fire or you cause a spill. You're able to not just imagine that thing, that, you, that event, but you're able to experience it to a degree visually. It's all around you. It's all encompassing both in, in the optics, the sound, and all the responses throughout the system and the people in that environment. And it becomes, it becomes a much more effective means of, of training. Virtual reality has shown to increase retention by up to 87%, which is pretty significant when you think about the amount of information that your typical operator, your typical hand, or any, any job in the oil and gas industry, the amount of information that people are expected to remember, everything from regulations to their company's processes, procedures, rules, and then moving into time-critical evolutions, 
things where you only have a certain amount of time to do the right thing or else everything's just going to blow up in your face. <laughs> those things take practice. In normal circumstances, you don't have the opportunity to practice those things, but you can do it in virtual reality and there's little to no risk in doing it that way. And you can do it over and over again. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of going back to just the topic that we started that that's really motivated and propelled you to where you are with this journey, which is you know, tragedy left a mark and you're trying to keep other people out of that same tragedy. And training's like the same way, right? You're, you're trying to show somebody the risks and the could be possible tragedies and issues before they get to that point. But if, if they don't actually experience it, it, it doesn't really, doesn't leave a mark, right? It doesn't, it doesn't stick. And this virtual reality is is about as close as you could get to them actually kind of having those problems and actually going through some of those real life world experiences. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely correct. How did virtuality really start in this realm? What were some of the early applications either for 3D media or or just as a technology being developed for training? and Well, you can go back to the 1960s to see some of the first virtual reality headsets being developed. It was 1968. The Sword of Democles is what it was, what it was called. It was kind of the, the first real head-mounted display. Ivan Sutherland, he was a Harvard professor, and he had created this you know, fully immersive kind of headset which was, you know, you look at it, if you Google the Sword of Damocles, you'll, you'll see that it's just this massive thing that goes on your head. It almost looks like an 80s horror movie, but it was developed in 1966. And then, you know, the technology kind of evolved and moved forward. You get into the 80s and 90s and you'll see NASA really start to experiment in virtual reality to a large degree for astronaut training, the United States Air Force and other other military organizations start to train pilots using virtual reality. And one of the key commonalities that, that's there are, number one, that the tasks that they're training for are high risk. The cost of failure is, is considerably high. And number two, that the platforms that these people were expected to operate, fighter jets, space shuttles, they were also incredibly high expensive and you're not really able to, they're not always available to train on. So those are kind of like the origins of virtual reality and training. Now, if you fast forward to around 2010, 2012, you start to see some some advances in consumer virtual reality headsets. Groups like Oculus, HTC start to create these new headsets. They're still kind of out of the reach of most people in terms of finances, but they become more available to companies, to larger organizations. We first started in the virtual reality world, working with digital twins, working with CAD models and learning as much as we could about laser scanning, trying to make environments as realistic as possible. Photogrammetry is another one, another initial tool that we started to learn everything we could about to create the environments that people would be working in. You know, I always believed, and I still do, that really cookie cutter environments do a bit to train individuals, but it's much more effective if they're trained on the environments that they're going to be working in, that they'll go to every day when they're out of training and perform their rounds or hang tag outs or, or whatever the case may be. That increase in retention and recognition will be increased significantly. And so our first major projects were with one of the bigs, working with their team to develop some virtual reality training simulators for 
for operators at our refinery. So, you know, we go through the procedures, we capture visual data of the environments, and we created a virtual reality training simulator that was essentially firefighting, using a fire extinguisher, choosing the proper fire extinguisher to put out different types of fire. You know, we, we graded people on how they would perform that using the proper fire extinguisher was pass fail, but we could capture a ton of data from that. We could use gaze tracking. We could use timers to see how long it took people to make the right decisions. And then obviously the yes and no <laughs> type of data that comes from performing the correct function. In terms of augmented reality, we started to develop some things for the, the majors as well. One of the big advances that we got though, was we were awarded a SBIR phase two grant from the United States Air Force to develop augmented reality software for flight line maintainers, people who maintained bombers and fighters for the United States Air Force. And we use that essentially, they have these things called TOs, which are technical orders. They're procedures for how to maintain equipment. And we use those TOs and we create tools that allow the maintainers to go step-by-step through their procedure with each step, telling them exactly where to go, exactly what tool to use and capturing all that data, all that metadata, GPS information and IOT information to ensure that the maintainers are are performing their, their job properly. And then being able to track that along with work orders throughout the process. It's both human performance, risk mitigation and organizational accountability all in yeah. one, one package. Yeah, you get a living live checklist that's yep. in front of your face that you don't have to go look at between every step and take a bunch of time. I mean, and then I'm sure you get, like you said, you get all of that's recorded somewhere. So you get to see everything that that technician saw all the way through the process if they, you know, forgot to fill the oil filter before they screwed it on or, you know, any like fine little nuanced item that, that could make a big issue. But it wouldn't be easy to prove after the fact if you didn't have like that video proof and everything to to really you know reference back to after the fact if you Absolutely. have a problem. And look, the goal here is we understand that in the Air Force there's a high attrition rate. The highly skilled maintainers, just like in, in oil and gas with attrition, people are retiring, people are, are getting out, they're moving, especially right now with this downturn. If you're an operator right now, if you're a company who you know, maybe, maybe you had to make the toughest decision ever and lay off a bunch of your highly skilled people. What happened to that knowledge when they left? Those people retired or they went into a different industry. Where did that knowledge go? Well, this technology allows you to scale that knowledge. You essentially have 40 years or more of toolbox knowledge right in front of the face of the newest operator, the newest technician. We like to call that scaling knowledge, scaling experience. Because you really do, you multiply that skill, the skill and knowledge of that 40 year technician and put it into the hands of literally anyone in your organization. One of the cool things is, is that technician can sell, can author these in the field while he's performing his task. He can build these, these augmented reality experiences while he's doing a particular job and it's saved in perpetuity for the next person, for that, the new guy to come by and perform it. Whenever, you know, that's very interesting. That's a thing that that's something that I've seen off and on over the years. I mean, I, I come from like an operational background. Anybody that listens to the show, I'll say it too often, probably, but you know, <laughs> I deal with, I deal with truck drivers, right? I, that's my day job. That's my, and we're doing that all the time. And, and 
you know, even it's not AI or, 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 you know, it's not VR or anything, but just having like route data for the, like go to all these least sized sites out in the middle of nowhere. And sometimes it's, it's incredibly hard to find them and to have like, we'll have a new driver call up and say, I don't know where this place is. And we're like, okay, just a second. And we can go back and we can look at like the last five drivers that went there and we can plot all their maps out real quick, just at a push of a button and we can go, all five of them went this way and that's what the directions say. And, uh, you know, everything like, and it's just so simple and kind of the same thing you're saying, you have that new technician, he goes into the plant and he goes, oh crap, I don't know which valve is the right valve. He like phones a friend who's like a senior technician somewhere else doing some other job. They both, you know, log in basically. So they both see the same thing and they go, this one right here, right? And they just drop a little virtual arrow or whatever they do and turn this valve crisis averted. It's super yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at tools like Remote Expert, Remote Connect, where you can have that engineer or that subject matter expert in the Philippines literally seeing what the technician in the Gulf of Mexico sees and guiding him to do that that next step properly. It's amazing what we're capable of doing these days with augmented reality and virtual reality. It really, you know, there's a reason why this technology is what we were able to find as, as the best tool to save lives, because it really is. And the more it advances, the more great companies break the mold and push forward. I'm excited to see what the future holds. It's, it's, it's exciting. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just as excited. So, I mean, we've talked about a lot about just, you know, all the technology that you guys are working on. We've got tons of discussion about the use case and the benefits and all the wonderful things that go into it. And, and I know that this can be kind of a buzzword. It can be real like it's one of those super techie kind of like, you know, items. Two questions, you know, do you ever have to fight this as as just that, as just a, a cliche, people brush it off like it really doesn't work. And then also kind of with that, how have you at 3D Media really been able to turn this around and stand out in this industry? Yeah. So that's a great question. Yes. Especially early on when virtual reality was pretty much just something when we first started out to a large degree, virtual reality was just something that people saw in older movies, or you would think about Disney World or something like that when you thought of virtual reality. People didn't really connect the dots between virtual reality and industrial training. Even though the airline industry, as we talked about earlier, the Air Force and NASA have used virtual VR for that exact purpose, for training in high-risk, critical tasks and job fields. So the big push, you know, there was absolutely a big pushback when we first started presenting this to groups in the oil and gas industry and power generation and petrochemical industry. A lot of people didn't take it seriously until they saw it, until they experienced it until they had that emotional connection, that point of conversion where they were no longer in the classroom or the presentation room, but they were on, they were on a rig in the Gulf of Mexico, or they were on, they were in a refinery about to perform a lockout tag out on a heat exchanger. When you get into a VR experience, especially one that's well done, you forget where you are physically and you are in that training environment. And every interaction that you have feels real. Every reaction that the system gives you, if it's done well, seems real. 
And so you take it seriously. You don't go in there just turning all kinds of valves. You stick to your procedure just like you would in the real world. You know, we've had people go, we've had managers who had never been out into a specific unit at a refinery, take one of our VR simulators, go through one of our simulators, and they would come back to us later and they said, you know, after I did that, I had to go out into that, into the field and see that environment in real life. And and they'd say, you know, I walked out there and I'd never done this job in my life, but I stood right there and I went through the entire procedure. And I knew every valve that I was going to turn. And if I did it wrong, I knew what was going to happen. And that to me was when I knew that, that we were doing something right, that it could make a difference. And those are kind of the things that set us apart. Our understanding of the needs of operators, the understanding of the needs of technicians in the field, and our commitment to that. We're not here to make video games. We're not here to do, granted, everything that we do looks cool, but that's not why we're here. <laughs> you know, we're here to make a difference, to make sure, like I said earlier, to make sure that every person that we can touch, every person that we can affect goes home safely to their family every single night, the exact same way that they went to work, to make sure that the information that they receive in training or when they're in the field performing a task, that they have the, the information that they need to be successful. We feel like that it's, it's our responsibility on every project that we do to deliver something that is impactful that changes the way people view their jobs to where they can understand understand the effects of the actions that they take or the actions that they don't take. Yeah, that's huge. That's a big driver and that's fantastic work that you guys are doing there. So Thank you. what does a new customer or anybody in the industry, if, if they're looking to start deploying some of these technologies in their business, how does that start and how do they work with you know, 3D media to, to accomplish that? Yeah, I think, you know, like you had said earlier, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality, they're shiny words. They're exciting. The thought of them are exciting. People get publicity for, for launching all, all these new VR and AR tools in, in their plants. But the thing that needs to happen before any of these technologies are adopted is you need to think about where they can make the most impact, especially in a pilot. Think about some of your most critical tasks where can you make the biggest difference? And I'll tell you this, virtual reality is not, may not be for every company or for every group within a company. I think that it's, it is for most, but that's a decision that, 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 that company needs to really think about because we don't, we don't want technology for technology's sake. We don't want VR, AR, AI, or machine learning for the sake of the technology or just to say that we did it. We need to make sure that when these technologies are deployed, they're deployed responsibly. And they're deployed in places that can make a difference in the operations of the company. Because one of the biggest things, you know, there, there's this thing that kind of exists in a lot of technology industry, in, in the technology industry, when dealing with oil and gas and, and other companies, other groups like that, is there's this thing called pilot purgatory, where you get a pilot project and you may do a good job as the company who builds the, the technology, but if it's not applied in a place that's impactful, it dies right there and you don't go any further. And that has a lot to do with the planning process, the understanding of where these technologies fit. Virtual reality and augmented reality can be applied to the BIM process for feed reviews all the way to you know design engineering and changes like that to training. And then tying in IoT devices for understanding real geospatial real-time situations. But any of those things need to be approached from a really 
the approach that that says, do we need this here? And if we do, what other technologies are going to affect this? How do we build this in a way where they can meet, where they can converge? Because we don't want siloed technologies. We want things that that come together to the ultimate goal of getting information into the hands of decision makers, shortening that distance between data and that distance between decisions, because that's the ultimate goal with any technology. It's all about information. Yeah, absolutely. As you're going through everything, I'm just thinking about, <laughs> I'm really, I'm thinking about all the other shows that we've done. There are all the different parts that feed into this. Like, like I was telling you, the last episode I did was a underwater survey and inspection you know, company that does all kinds of laser scanning and all kinds of stuff that would feed your digital twins. I have a show next Friday that is about a company that specializes in exactly digital twins and virtual reality, you know, like creating the twins that then, you know, you can go in with the virtual reality. We've had the IOT, you know, discussions. We've had just so much stuff. And it's just, it's so cool how it's all interacts and how it all comes together and, and feeds kind of this, you know, talk about shiny words, but feeds this overall technology ecosystem that's create, you know, growing in oil and gas, which is, is super cool. It's super cool to keep watching it, watching it grow and evolve. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, the military has these multi-domain operational environments. And one of the things that they've really been focusing on, especially the Air Force, is is creating a place where all these all these technologies can meet, you know, some of the work that we're doing with the Air Force are to that, that goal exactly, where all these technologies can meet, where the information is compiled, organized, optimized, and then distributed and visualized in an effective way where people can, can understand what the data means. Because look, if all I'm looking at is a specific set of IoT data, or if all I'm looking at is historical information on a certain group or all I'm looking at is training data from this particular group. Are you really getting the big picture? Are you really able to make the right, the right call at the right time? And, you know, I think the, the easy answer is no, obviously. To make the right decision, to make any proper decision, you know, there's, there's this thing called the OODA loop or the Boyd cycle. It's orient, observe, decide, and act. So it's, it was developed by John Boyd, who was a fighter pilot in World War II. Korea and Vietnam, and he worked at the Pentagon and he created this cycle. Decisions are based on that cycle, the OODA loop, the orient, observe, decide, and act. Every decision you make in life, every decision you make in business, every decision you make in combat is based on that, on that loop. And it's a constant iteration of those. All these different technologies feed all these different points, the orient, observe, and act. But the decision part, the decision part alone lies on the, on the shoulders of people. But all these technologies feed into that. And to have a fully effective ecosystem, to have the best tools to make the best decisions, you can't have siloed technologies. Well, you can't have a siloed organization, but I think most companies are pretty good at that. Yeah, everybody's catching on to that one. I think yep. we're getting better day yep. by day. What's one of the most exciting projects you've had so far with 3D media? Oh man, they're all exciting. They're all great. You know, every every project that we do is an opportunity to help people, an opportunity to take number one, to take our technology to the next level, to do something different than we did last time. That's one thing that we we try to do is every project that we do, we're not going to just do the same thing we did last time. We're going to take it further. So every project that we do is, is exciting, but to be more specific, I guess, projects that we work, you know, some of the projects that we do with the Department of Defense are extremely exciting. And that's mainly because, you know, you know, being a veteran myself, I've got a special, special place in my heart for my brothers and sisters 
in arms. So, you know, doing those projects, it's exciting to be able to help to serve those who serve us on a daily basis. While every project we do is exciting, those are even more special for me. Yeah, no, I can hear that. And and while I didn't serve, I appreciate everybody that does. And I can see how that's that's a standout for you. So kudos to you and, and thank you for the work you're doing there. Thank you. What's on the horizon for 3D media? We're going to keep on innovating and pushing our technology further. I think we are in a phenomenal place in terms of being at the meeting place of industry and defense. We've been blessed with some really great partners, really great connections and networks in both of those areas that help us to be a better company, that hold us accountable, push us further, and continually work towards the goal of providing tools to people that that change the way they do things, both operationally and, and in training. Yeah, awesome. No, I, I agree with all that. It's fantastic. And you didn't say it, but I will. I mean, you know, we mentioned early on that it's that it is a downturn right now, especially for oil and gas. It is it's kind of a tough time. But this is really the time when companies should be looking at these kind of processes, right? That now they might have that extra time to to look at developing these these training programs and, and spend some good time establishing better programs and processes and get the, the technology tools in place. Because it, when it does come around, you want to be prepared for that, right? So put that time in now and start having the discussions. I mean, these take a while to deploy. I'm sure it takes a while to develop the program. And you know, so hopefully anybody out there listening, if you're you think about it, something to ring a bell. And, and this really goes for any kind of operational industry. I mean, of course, we're focused at offshore oil and gas, but I could see this, you know, offshore rigs. I could see if we're working on different ship vessels, you know, shipping and, you know, drill, sh- I mean, any kind of industrial application is probably going to be pretty applicable to what you guys are doing in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everything, I mean, you can go even into, because our augmented reality tools are essentially self-authored, you can use the augmented reality tools that that we built with our partners. You can apply them to essentially any field. I mean, you go all the way to HVAC, water treatment, anything that there's a step-by-step process, you know, you're not, you're not limited to just, just high-risk environments. And another thing I'll throw out there is you're right, we are in a downturn right now, but one thing that I'd like to say to, to your listeners is that if you're you're in an organization and your company is interested in this this type of technology, look, you've heard me say it a couple of times. My goal is to ensure that people get home safe. Money, contracts, all that type of stuff, I couldn't care less about that. Now, don't get me wrong, we got to operate a business, but if you're interested in a pilot to try to get this to your to your team members, reach out. We want to help the people in the industry and we want to help the technology to be to be pushed across different industries as well. So, you know, don't let the downturn stop you from innovating in your in your company. Awesome. Awesome. Anything that we haven't touched on yet or maybe how how would people reach out to you, Daryl, to start that discussion? Yeah. So, the best way to reach out would probably be just to go ahead and email me directly and that would be at daryl d a r y l dot r o y at 3 dmedia.io. Email me. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Daryl Roy. Connect with me on there. Send, send me a connection request or or uh, message me and we can have a conversation. As you can tell, I love to talk. So <laughs> we can talk anytime, even if it's just asking questions and sharing sharing knowledge and experience. I love that as much as anything. 
Awesome. Awesome. Dale. No, it was a fantastic discussion. I learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners did. It's a very, it's just a very intriguing, you know, it's a bad word, like you said, but it's shiny. It's a shiny topic. It's just cool, right? VR, it's just something we can all kind of relate to if we've seen a sci-fi movie. (laughs) It's just super interesting. So thank you again for the time. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening in. I hope you enjoyed another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast. Again, where we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. We'll catch you on the next one. Leave a review, a comment, wherever you may receive this content, and we'll catch you on the next one. Here are the events on deck. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.